This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for August 28, 2020. Over a thousand apps are causing privacy concerns thanks to a malicious SDK. Adobe admits Lightroom deleted some users' photos forever and is using a six-digit passcode a security threat. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, this is episode 150. Can you believe it? Wow, that's that's pretty cool. What a nice number, 150. It is. It's, it's round. It's 10 times 15. It's 6 times 25. It's... Five times 30, it's got all those multipliers in it. Yeah. Now, I should say, though, this is not our third uh, anniversary of the podcast yet because... No, six more episodes for that. Yeah, we're, we're going to have uh, 156 will technically be because, of course, we've recorded every week and there's 52 weeks in a year, so it's 156. But And we've never missed a week. Yeah, that's true. We've never missed a week. Even when one of us has to go out of town, we use the magic of, uh, you know, (laughs) of the internet. Pre-recorded podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. We we have done that a number of times. We we sometimes will record two episodes in a week and we'll have one episode for that week and another one for the following week. We never really miss out on any big news, though. The only times we do that are essentially in slow news periods like the summer or maybe around Christmas. Right, right. That's true. Yeah, we do. Uh, we, we, we like to keep you guys well informed. And so, you know. Well, I think it's important to have this regularity in podcasting. Okay, so we've got some interesting stories today. In fact, we've spent an hour and a half pre-recording um, discussing one of the stories we're going to talk about in the second half. First, I want to talk about a sad story and the kind of story that says you got to have a backup. Lightroom updated their iOS app. And you know what? If you had updated right away, there was a bug that deleted all your photos and all your presets. That's all your photos. Now, if you depended on Lightroom for all your photos, if you didn't have backups on your Mac um, or backups in some other place, you lost all your photos. Adobe said, uh, there is absolutely no way to get this data back. And that's what I really don't understand. They've got to have redundant backups in the cloud. Why can't they get that data back? I I don't know the answer to that. Um, It is sort of amazing that something this bad could happen. (laughs) It's not something that you would expect, right? You know, Adobe is a major company. Adobe's been known for a very long time as being the company that you use for editing graphics files, photos. Uh, you know, I, it, it's kind of shocking that something like this could happen, but it did. And Lightroom is pretty much the default app for most serious photographers. Uh, it's, it's a cataloging app and it's also an editing app. I, I know lots of photographers because I'm into photography and I do a photography podcast, but very few people don't use Lightroom. There are some alternate apps that people use for editing, but the fact that it catalogs the files and puts them in the cloud and makes them available, it's a higher level app than Apple's Photos, which does really good editing and has a cloud um, function as well. But Lightroom is really the serious photographer's app. And 
it, the, now the problem here is you really only hit if all your photos were only on your iOS device. Now, I know some photographers who um, they'll go out shooting, they'll take their iPad, they'll plug their SD cards into that little adapter you can plug into the iPad, they'll dump it into Lightroom, goes in the cloud, and they think they're secure. They erase the SD card, and they use it for some more photos. And if they did the update, they would have lost the photos. So first rule here, don't do an update to any software that you need if you're out in the field, if you're on a trip, anything like that, because this kind of stuff can happen. The second rule is regularly back up your iOS devices to your Mac, because um, Adobe has said that in some cases, uh, their iPhone or iPad backups may have all their data. And if they restore those last backups, they may get the photos back. But I'm, I'm just stunned that they don't have redundant cloud backups, that they can't just you know, bring in a snapshot from before to get everyone's files back. So I guess one of the takeaways here is just to remember how important backups are. We, we talked a little bit about backups last week. Um, and I don't know if we mentioned it last week, but uh, one thing that's important to remember is this idea of a three to one backup strategy. You want to make sure you have at least three copies of your data. Two of those should be local copies on different uh, methods of storage ideally. And then you should have one backup that's offsite. So in the case of an iPhone, that would be probably your iCloud backup um, to have uh, to have an offsite backup in that sense. Um, but uh, remember also, if you're backing up to your Mac, and then you've got your Mac backed up to a cloud backup service, that can be another backup, as long as you know how to restore your backup. Yet another very important point when it comes to backup strategies is if you don't know how to restore your backup, then your backup doesn't really do you a lot of good. So what I want to point out is the the danger of using automatic updates, whether it's for apps or the operating system. I'm looking at the Adobe forum and someone was talking about, he was in the wilderness with no cell service, he got great photos, he was planning on editing them when he got back. And then when he did get an internet signal, well, it updated the app and that deleted everything. I never turn on automatic updates anywhere. In fact, when I get updates in the iOS app store, I look at each app that's being updated. I check to see what is going to be updated. In most cases, they were a day or two old because the iOS app store doesn't seem to check every day. I don't know about you. Maybe once every four or five days, it'll show some updates unless I personally go into the updates to check for updates. But the same thing for iOS. There have been stories about iOS updates that have broken things and bricked iPhones for a long time. This is like, this is going to be a class action lawsuit because there are going to be professional photographers here who lost all their files. Now, by the way, this whole idea of turning off automatic updates may sound very counterintuitive (laughs) because, you know, we're we're always telling people make... We're always telling people to update. Yeah, Yeah. make sure you keep your software up to date because you want to make sure you're uh, not leaving your software vulnerable, right? So it is important to install the updates. Um, if, if you are turning off automatic updates, then you do uh, have the responsibility that now falls on you to make sure that when there is an update available, you do actually schedule the time to install that update and back up your phone first before you install a major iOS update. Um, and, uh, you know, it used to be once upon a time that there were ways that you could kind of back up your iOS apps. It's almost impossible to do that now, thanks to uh, Apple kind of removing that functionality from iTunes and now no longer really having iTunes as of Catalina. 
Alina. Um, so your best bet, uh, is make sure that when you install, if, if it's an app, that's very important where, you know, you've got really important information and you're not sure exactly where it's stored. If it's on the device in the cloud, um, make sure you know what you're doing before you install an app update. Okay. Our next story, this is one of these rabbit hole things. We were talking about it before the show, and this brings up so many issues. Uh, Forbes is reporting a malicious Chinese SDK, that's a software development kit, in 1,200 iOS apps with billions of installs causing major privacy concerns to hundreds of millions of consumers. The TLDR, if you don't know what that means, it's too long, didn't read, is a Chinese ad network named Mintegral is accused of spying on user activity and committing ad fraud in more than 1,200 apps with 300 million installs per month since July 2019. So ad fraud is they're pretending to click on ads so they can get paid for the clicks. The privacy issues is that they're recording a lot of user activity and it's not clear how much. And my first thought was, well, Apple approves all these apps. How does this get into an app, something so dangerous? Yeah, this is the kind of thing that uh, when I when I look at an article like this, and they kind of like raise this question, like, you know, how does Apple allow this sort of thing into the store? It's like, well, you know, this has actually been going on for a long time, because, you know, um, you're a developer in another country. So, you know, there are a lot of uh, users in China who are using iPhones and there are Chinese apps in the app store. Um, so it would kind of make sense that they're going to use a Chinese ad network to serve you ads in a Chinese app in China. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's not terribly shocking to me that, uh, that they're using a Chinese ad network. It, it may seem weird to us, but it, it's not really that uncommon. Um, however, yes, the, the, the thing here is this whole click fraud thing and, you know, pretending that you're clicking on advert or tapping on advertisements that you're not really tapping on. But I, I mean, it's not like the developers, the developers most likely who, who integrated this ad network into their app probably didn't know, hopefully didn't know that this was going on. You know, it's one of those things where you're integrating something that another developer has made into your app. There's always some risk of something like this happening. Uh, can't, and what can Apple do to stop it? Uh, that, that's the other question, right, that, that inevitably comes up. Um, it's important to note that it's not uncommon for apps to have this sort of software development kit, and particularly because these are ad networks. Apps don't want to go out and sell ads themselves, so they integrate the code to get apps from different um, ad networks, and they may have multiple ad network SDKs in their apps to make sure that they've always got ads. But is there any way Apple can stop this? Well, so here's the thing. Um, you know, you need to be able to 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 monetize your app. And, and one of the ways to do that, if you don't want to have in-app purchases or if it's not the type of app where it makes sense to have in-app purchases or subscriptions, then the only other way that you can monetize an app basically is to show advertisements. Um, and so uh, most of the time ads are going to be innocuous. And most of the time it's not that big of a deal if you're Device. I mean, at least to Apple, you know, maybe to you and your privacy, but it's not that big of a deal from a certain perspective for your device to be co contacting these ad and tracking networks. 
Um, and I, I should say this has been happening for a long time. Um, before the podcast, way back in January 2017, um, I wrote an article on the Intego Max Security blog um, that mentions that there was an app a very similar story. It was a Chinese app developed in China, had been in the app store for several years uh, and and had recently gained popularity. It was one of those apps where it would transform your photo and make it look like it was a beautifully painted, like sort of anime, whatever style uh, image of yourself. And uh, this app, it, it was reported in Wired that, you know, Jonathan Zdarsky, um, you know, had identified at least half a dozen analytics and tracking packages within the app and and it was kind of like a shocking thing and it was uh, at the time i think people didn't weren't as aware that this stuff actually happens all the time it's very normal surprisingly for uh an app to have multiple tracking uh, and and advertisement uh, services that they're using. Link in the show notes to the Forbes article, link to Josh's article from 2017. We're going to take a break and we're going to tell you why your six-digit passcode on your iPhone is not enough. You already know that Intego loves Macs. After all, Intego has been making world-class Mac security software since 1997. But did you know that Intego Antivirus is also available for Microsoft Windows? If you've got Windows running on your Mac, either in Boot Camp or in a virtual machine like Parallels, VMware, or VirtualBox, make sure to protect it from malware just like you protect macOS with Intego Security Software. Intego Antivirus for Windows is also a great solution for your friends and family members with Windows PCs. Download a free trial of Intego Antivirus for Windows today, and when you're ready to buy, use the link in the show notes for a special discount. Don't use Windows? Don't worry. We've still got a great deal for you. First-time buyers of Mac Premium Bundle X9 can get Intego's powerful Mac security and utility suite at an incredible 40% savings by using coupon code PODCAST20 at checkout. Intego, makers of the best protection software for Mac, and now for Windows, too. Okay, so every week before the podcast, we spend some time, maybe 45 minutes, an hour, talking about the stories we want to discuss. And as I said earlier, we spent an hour and a half going over two stories, the first one about this malicious Chinese SDK and iOS apps. But the second one, which really kind of, I don't know about you, Josh, it blew my mind when we started discussing the ramifications of this. So this starts with uh, an article on Daring Fireball, where John Gruber mentioned Someone had said on Twitter, um, stop using six-digit iPhone passcodes. Do you think I'm overly paranoid? Keep reading. The TLDR here is a friend of his has an iPhone stolen, and within five hours, $30,000 in unauthorized wire transfers, $2,500 spent on the App Store. The question is, how did someone crack his six-digit passcode? Six digits, it sounds like a lot because it's a million possibilities, but there are a lot of passcodes that are relatively simple not necessarily to crack, but to figure out. You use a date, for instance. If you're in the U.S., the first two digits are going to be a month. The second two digits are going to be a day, and that reduces the possibility. Okay, so here's what happens. If someone can get your passcode, they can get into your iCloud keychain. They can get your iCloud password because you have certainly logged in on the web to iCloud and probably saved the password for iCloud. Once they get your iCloud password, they can get your email passwords, 
they can find which email accounts you have because you probably logged into your email accounts on the web as well. If you have more than one account, they can find that information. And here's what really got me. I use 1Password as a password manager, and there's a lot of duplication between 1Password and iCloud Password. But I found that my master password for 1Password had been saved in my iCloud keychain. That's because when I logged into my 1Password account on the web, Safari offered to save the password. And I said, yeah, save the password. And now I realize, whoa, if my 1Password password is in my keychain, someone can get through my PIN. They have everything. They can get everything. They can get email account information. They can get bank account information. Now, the person will link to a Twitter thread for the person who was telling this story. And they were very surprised that it just took a simple password to get into um, his friend's bank account. That's not the case with my bank. There, there are multiple things that you have to give them at any time to get in. So while my iPhone is set up to use Face ID, if someone stole the phone, they could not get into my bank account. After today's show, I'm going to change my password to an alphanumeric password so it's longer and not crackable. We've actually talked in the past about the importance of choosing an alphanumeric uh, passcode on a mobile device, on your iPhone in particular, Um, So Apple, of course, defaults to six character passwords. It used to be four character, uh, you know, digits, four digit pins. And then eventually they switched to six digit pins. Um, And they give you an option when you're first setting up your phone. And you can, of course, go back and change this later to change it to an alphanumeric uh, passcode. And so that basically means it's when you get the full keyboard instead of uh, just numbers to press. And of course, uh, that's a much better way. Even if you've got one letter in there and the rest were numbers, that's still a much better password than just, you know, digits only. Because as you say, like that's a, a, the maximum of 1 million passwords that it could possibly be. Um now, we need to talk about this whole thing uh, with, you know, how difficult it is to get a six-character pin, right? Because – Right. So that's one of the issues that's raised. Um, John Gruber on Daring Fireball says, well, did they have a gray key? This is a device we've talked about that can crack iPhones. Or did they figure out some other way to get into the passcode? Uh, the person in question, it wasn't someone who broke into his house and stole his phone and who might know him. It was someone who rode by on a bicycle and grabbed his phone. So he didn't know anything about the person, like, to figure out, you know, his date of birth or his his spouse's date of birth or anything like that. Yeah, as as far as we know. I mean, unless the person had been stalking him and he didn't know it, possibly. Right. Um, But And how likely is it that the person had a great key? Great keys are only available to law enforcement. Um, And the other thing we should say about them, if you haven't heard us discuss great key in the past, is that this is a device that can attempt multiple times. It can brute force, basically, a brute force attack any password or pass uh, code that you have on your device. So typically, if you have a six-digit passcode, um, it can probably guess it within about 11 hours is um, the last estimate that I found in a quick Google search for how quickly can great key crack a password. Um, That was an estimate as of two years ago. But in this particular case, these things happen very quickly. All of this damage was done in five hours. Yeah. Now, the one, one thing that's important to note is that once someone gets your iCloud password, they can turn off the Find My iPhone, which prevents you from remotely erasing your iPhone. 
Yeah, now that's an interesting point too. Um, really, there's a lot of things that somebody can do with, once they get into your device. Uh, we've also talked before about how most people just have email just set up as, as a default, like where you just tap on an app and now you're immediately in your email. And we've also talked before about how easy it is for somebody to do a password reset. Let's say that there's a password for some site that you don't have stored in your iCloud keychain. And the person who just took your device from you um, got into your device. And now let's say, for example, that they want to get into your PayPal account and and see if they can uh, you know, make purchases <laughs> using your, your account. Um, well, they might actually be able to do that. Because PayPal, last I checked anyway, they don't require two-factor authentication. Perhaps you're not using it. And guess what? Even if you are, it's probably sending you a text message, right? And now they've got your phone, <laughs> so they can even get your exactly. second factor. So even if they, even if you haven't stored your PayPal password in I, your iCloud keychain, if they can get into your email, they can probably initiate a password reset and reset your PayPal password to one that only they know, and then they can get the two-factor code and get into your PayPal account. Or they can even just add another password. I added a new email address to my PayPal account a few weeks ago, and I got an email to the existing email address confirming that I wanted to make the change, and then I got the second factor because I have two-factor authentication on, and then the change was done. So so I now have two email addresses to access my PayPal account. But the whole process is very simple. As long as I had access to that first email account, then I can add the second email. Right. Okay. So we talked about gray key, but it's generally only something that's available to law enforcement. And, and we talked about, okay, well, a lot of people use dates, right? If, you, if you've got a six-digit number then you can be fairly certain that somebody may be using something like an address. Maybe the place where they live has a six-digit number at the beginning of their address. Also, you know, it could be uh, six digits from their phone number. It could be a number of different things that uh, would be relatively easy to find out about a person, but probably the most common thing is dates. So if you know somebody's birthday, um, their child's birthday, their spouse's birthday, or their wedding day, um, then those are all pretty good guesses, <laughs> you know, to try those first. And if you don't know this information and you look up someone on Facebook and their page happens to be public and there's a picture of them getting married or here's a picture of the baby that was born with the date, you can get this information quite easily. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and then you've got all these helpful people on Facebook who wish you a happy birthday and uh, I, I th that's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, I don't like when people post stuff like that because then now everybody knows your birthday, even if you're hiding it from your Facebook profile. Now you got to like make sure to delete that from your timeline or whatever. And it's so obnoxious. I don't want other people to be sharing my birthday for me. Okay, so. We have an article from last year, How to Ensure Your Mac and iOS Devices Are Secure, and it discusses how to create a different uh, passcode on your iOS devices. Now, my question, Josh, is um, you get a number of options for passcodes. I'm looking at my iPhone now. You can create a four-digit numeric code, a six-digit numeric code, a custom numeric code, so a numeric code with any number of digits, or a custom alphanumeric code. Is a custom 
numeric code, let's say eight or 10 digits, is that going to be more secure and easier to enter than an alphanumeric code? Because then you just get the number pad instead of the full keyboard. Um, that's an interesting point um, on, on whether it's more secure. It's definitely more secure than a six digit pin because four and six digits are, you know, have been defaults on iPhones. And so because it's not yet um, just an option that you can tap to say, I want eight digits. It's not just a one tap thing. Um, an attacker who's trying to, you know, sort of brute force your, your passcode um, would need to know the number of digits. Now, I don't know. I've never actually tried making a, a passcode that's uh, that's digits only. That's a, a number that's more than six. Does it show you the number of digits or can you kind of guess it? No, it, it shows an open text field. So when you have a six-digit passcode, you've got those six little dots, and each time you tap a, a number, it shows that you've tapped one of the numbers. But here you've got an open text field, and you don't know how many digits there are. So it seems to me that merely adding a seventh digit makes your passcode thousands of times more difficult to crack because someone trying to get in won't know how many digits it is. That is true. Um, I would still argue that it's better to choose an alphanumeric passcode if you can, even if you're only going to put in numbers. And here's why the keyboard changes, because if you pick, you know, uh, some number of digits uh, above six, if it's an all digit password, um, if you choose that option, then it's still going to give you the standard uh, keyboard layout that's just a, a number pad. And so if you're, if you're choosing an alphanumeric code, even if you're just putting in numbers, it's still better because now it's going to convince whoever is trying to break into your device that there's probably letters in there too. I would recommend that you put at least a letter or a special character or some, something like that in there, at least one. <laughs> you might as well actually make it a little stronger. Yeah. The the difference is that um you've got that alphanumeric keypad and it's easier to to tap on the wrong key. True. Unlike with the numerical keypad. But given how often you need to use your passcode, if you've got touch ID or face ID, um you only need to access it well, to change the passcode, you need to enter the passcode. There are a couple of other settings, like getting to your passwords that we mentioned earlier. You need the passcode. Um, after an iOS update, after a certain number of days, you'll get another request for the passcode to be able to use Face ID or Touch ID. Yeah, and one other scenario is, uh, remember, there's also a way that you can force lock your phone you know, in your pocket by pressing a, a certain key press. It, it varies depending on what phone model you have. Um, but if somebody's approaching you and you're concerned that they might grab the phone from you, you can also press a physical key combination that will lock your phone and require a passcode. It won't work for, your, for Face ID anymore. Um, but that's true. It's very rare that any of those scenarios comes up. It might be maybe once a week, um, probably not too much more often than that. You know, I, I've been using a, a long, complex alphanumeric passcode on my phones for a long time, multiple phone models. I've used it with Touch ID and Face ID, and I'm okay with it. It works okay for me. There's not that many uh, occasions where I have to put in the, the entire passcode. So I say I'm all for doing this. So we're, we're speculating about gray key or... Facebook surfing to find someone's wedding date? Are there any other ways that someone might have been able to find someone's passcode? 
Well, actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a technique that's uh, been called shoulder surfing for a long time. And basically, the idea is that somebody can just watch you type in your password, right? Um, and so, especially if you're typing in on that numeric keypad, as you pointed out, the numbers are a lot bigger. If you just got num- a numbers-only pin that you're using, um, then there's big old buttons. And so, if you're looking at somebody carefully enough, even if you're not behind them, uh, able to see the screen, you can get a fairly good idea of where somebody's finger is landing on that screen. Um, there's, there's actually been a lot of research into being able to observe passcodes being typed from a distance. Um, we have an article on the Intico Max security blog from way back in 2014, um, where some researchers were testing different ways of obtaining a pin from 150 feet away. And on a recent episode of the podcast, we even talked about how, um, you know, there are technologies available where you can do something really crazy, like observing the lights in a room from much farther away than 150 feet and being able to tell what somebody is typing, for for instance. There's even more advanced technology than there was in 2014. And there are definitely ways that somebody can observe you type a password from a distance. Okay, here's another scenario. You're standing at a bus stop with your phone. And you're looking at your phone, you take it out, tap your passcode, etc. Someone in the building behind you has a zoom lens and a camera and is filming you as you do this. Someone else rides along on a bicycle and takes your phone. If it's in a specific location, it wouldn't be too hard to plan this. Now, I know this sounds a bit Tom Cruise-ish, but it's actually not that complicated, is it? No, I mean, you would, you'd have to have two people who are coordinating, but um, that's not terribly difficult to do. If somebody's targeting you, um, this is much more likely. I mean, this is not probably the kind of thing that would be likely to happen with your average criminal just biking by and grabbing your phone. But if it's a coordinated thing, if somebody is particularly targeting you, maybe you've got a you know, an ex who is really trying to to get access to your phone because they want, uh, you know, text message records or email records or, you know, maybe your browsing history so they can prove that you've done something to them or, or some scenario like that. Maybe if, if somebody has a reason to be targeting you, um, then this is a lot more plausible than just kind of your average crook. But absolutely, it's really not that difficult if you think about it. Okay, the takeaway here is that six-digit passcode might not be enough, and that if someone gets into your iPhone, they can pretty much get all your data. There's a lot of steps. We'll have an article on the Intico Max security blog sort of laying this out in a flowchart because there are – once that person gets in, it's like the next step gets your iCloud password to turn off on my iPhone. The next step is to get your email password. The next step is to get your – perhaps get your password manager password. And pretty much all bets are off. So, uh, again, we, we need to remember that since we've got Touch ID and Face ID, we don't really need to enter our passcode that often. It's not that onerous to make a longer password, whether it's more digits or whether it's alphanumeric. Good advice. Okay, Josh, until next week, stay secure, and I'm going to go change my passcode on all my devices. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. 
To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.